Another Way to Play, Episode 77. Life is a perfect unfoldment. As human beings, we do the only thing we can do in that moment with all the information we have and all the experience we have in that moment. So I stopped looking back and trying to think, well, what if it had gone another way? And everything that's happened is an unfoldment. It makes perfect sense in hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty. This is Joanna Dodd-Massey, queen of pivoting. I'm an executive, an MBA, a doctor of psychology, a public speaker, a mentor, and TBD on what else. So if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the nine-to-five rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is someone that I'm really excited to bring on. I know I say that a lot, but I think the conversation with Joanna Dodd-Massey was just frankly different than many of my other interviews, and I'm excited to bring a different perspective to the show. She has a really interesting story of over 25 years of corporate executive experience in many different industries for a lot of top Fortune 500 companies. She's gone back to school several times, gotten a PhD, a master's in business, and is actually currently writing a book. She has a couple of really interesting thoughts that I think is really worth sharing. The the most notable one is that you don't have control over anything. In fact, you should give up control or trying to control your situations in order to really be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. Her story as well as her advice is littered with that as an underlying concept, and it's something that you're going to want to listen to whether you're in the corporate world or out as an entrepreneur, because I think it has tremendous merit for all of us. So before we get into the show, remember that you can go down into the show notes, hit my Calendly link, connect with me personally. I would, especially on this episode, love to hear what your feedback is. So if you wouldn't mind doing that to connect, spend a couple minutes with me chatting and getting to know each other, I'd love that. And then if you're getting value out of this or any of the other episodes I put out, Head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because it really helps the show grow as well as gives me some very honest and critical feedback. So I really appreciate that. Without any further ado, guys, I'm excited to get into this one. So let's just get into it. This is my interview with Joanna Dodd-Massey. Joanna, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have a chat with you today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We went through your bio just a second ago. Before we get into what you're doing now, let's, let's build some context for the audience and talk about where your journey began. Sure. I grew up in New York City and started working in front of the camera in the entertainment industry, doing some modeling and acting, mostly commercial work, a little theater type stuff as a child. Um, but I didn't very much enjoy being in front of the camera. So then I moved to Los Angeles to go to college and to do anything but acting, which I realized I may be the only person on the face of the earth who moved to LA to quit acting. 
I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Although, interestingly, Hollywood called to me again because I went to college and studied journalism and public relations and ended up working at a PR agency. And within three years of graduating from college, I was working in the television industry in PR. And I've spent my whole career as a communications executive and eventually you know, and worked my way up the ranks fairly quickly and have been running PR departments and handling corporate communications and publicity in the film industry, television, publishing, and digital media. And eventually found my way back to New York, but I have always called either New York or LA home. So you moved out to LA, you've come back and forth and in a way sort of found your way into and out of camera, media, that sort of work in, in various lights, both acting in front of it and also sort of directing some of it on the back end. Yes, as an executive, behind the scenes. Of course, yeah. So talk to us about that first transition. Like you had this moment of trying to get away from acting and you went out to LA. Like a lot of the listeners tune in to get some inspiration and some thoughts around transitionings, whether it's across the country move or just a career tweak. Like I'd love to have you unpack that for us just a little bit further relative to your your move to LA and why you did it and then what you did and how it all all worked for you? It started while I was in high school and a lot of my friends were on the volleyball team, the gymnastics team, the field hockey team, whatever it was that they were doing. And I could never join any team sports because I always had to be available for auditions because I never knew when my agent was going to call in the middle of the day. And back then we didn't have cell phones, so they had to call the school. And I would get a note in class saying, you have an audition at 430 B, X, Y, and Z. So I really, as a teenager, I just didn't enjoy it. I, I really felt like I was missing out on opportunities to be with my friends in school. So I stopped acting while I was still in New York, I believe my junior year in high school. And I decided to go to Los Angeles for college, not to do film or television, just because I honestly didn't ever really feel like I fit in in New York. You have to remember this is a 17-year-old thinking, but at the time I was blonde, everybody else was brunette. <laughs> like, I just, you know, I didn't fit in with any one group, which wasn't a problem because I fit in with everybody. So I was the kind of kid in high school who I could walk into the lunchroom and I can sit with the jocks or the brainiacs or the cool girls or the artsy ones. Like, I could sit at any table I wanted, but I also didn't feel like I identified with any one group. So I thought mm. maybe New York just isn't for me. I'm going to go to Los Angeles. Mm. So, but again, that was coming from a 17 year old's perspective. And I moved out to LA to go to USC and ended up in college studying. I started in drama because I had to declare a major immediately and I didn't know what else to do. And that's all I knew to do was drama, but I quit within the first semester. I, I quickly joined the journalism school by the second semester freshman year. And that's what propelled you through your early 20s? Yes, PR. Interestingly, I was interested in advertising. I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do, but it was somewhere in that PR advertising realm. And at the time, all of the advertising classes at USC were through the business school. And I just didn't think I was very business minded at the time, which is ironic because I did go back to get an MBA at mm -hmm. USC. So anyways, but at the time I was thinking, no, I'd rather be in the journalism school. So I did PR. And when I graduated around that period, the country started to undergo a recession. 
And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, I really don't want to be in advertising because a lot of people in advertising were getting laid off. And I remember thinking, I don't know how often these recession things hit, but if the result is that if you work in advertising, you don't have a job, I'm definitely not going into that field. And that's how I ended up in PR. And I started working at an agency shortly after college. I did the requisite tour of Europe first and then went to work at the PR agency. But um, I ended up working for CBS within, I think it was three years of graduating from college. I was at CBS and that began my career in television and film. Amazing. So as a response to a recession that really dictated where you went professionally and in retrospect, I mean, obviously you're a young person coming out of college at this time, but like, are, are those all decisions you're glad you made or, or would you have gone back and, and maybe tweaked them in a different way? That's an interesting question. And when I was younger, meaning 20s, 30s, I used to think back, oh, or think if I, oh, if I could do life over, I would do X, Y, and Z. I actually stopped thinking that way when I turned 40. I basically got to a point where I thought, you know what, I can't do life over. And I really try, not, to, not hugely successful at it, but I really tried to get rid of the word should or could out of my vocabulary. Like I should have done this. I wish I had done this. It should be a different way. Because I, I found that it was something that I would say and it would make me feel bad about where I was and where I ended up. And I developed a life philosophy around life that frankly is formed through studying quantum physics and neuroscience, but mm-hmm. that's a different story. But I developed a, a life philosophy that really had more to do with life as a perfect unfoldment. As human beings, we do the only thing we can do in that moment with all the information we have and all the experience we have in that moment. And so I stopped looking back and trying to think, well, what if it had gone another way? Interesting. I love that distinction because that's a question is, as you know, that I ask a lot of people is like, what, what advice, or it's a version of a question rather, was like, what advice would you give yourself if you were going back and starting over again? But mm. I really appreciate your candor on that around removing those words from your vocabulary and deciding that things unfold for a certain way, given your inputs. Cause I think too often we look back on, you know, our 20 year old self coming out of college or, you know, entering or, or your first job and think like, oh, if I would have done this, if I could have done that. But like, you also are blessed with the, um, the luxury of experience and more knowledge now looking back and you didn't, you simply just didn't have that at the time. So basically trusting yourself that you made the best decisions possible and, and go from there. I, I think that's a really great distinction. Thank you. And I actually, I mentor a lot of younger women and I always tell them the advice I give them is relax because whatever happens is exactly the way it's meant to happen. And you will look back 20 years from now and say, Oh, that worked out pretty good. So don't, because <laughs> I find a lot of younger people these days and I did too. So maybe this is always the way younger people are, but they can tend to get very stressed out. Like, am I making the right decision? Am I going to the right school? Am I picking the right career? It feels very heavy. And my number one piece of advice I give these days is don't worry about it. Let it go. Wow. I, it's funny coming from someone who has the, the laundry list of degrees that your, your advice is to let it go and relax. <laughs> <laughs> coming from a very workaholic type A person, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, so speaking of it, so you, so you graduate college with journalism and, and then you said you made mention that you got a PhD and an MBA. So like, where does all that stuff come into your story? 
That's a little bit of a crazy part of the story. I graduated from college and my career was going the way every careers normally go. I was climbing my way up the corporate ladder. I was moving rather quickly, which was nice. I had a senior vice president role by the time I was 32 years old. I was overseeing a large department, a, a, um, a bi-coastal staff, had a multi-million dollar P&L under my purview, all these types of you know, rites of passage in corporate America. Mm -hmm. I had achieved at 32 and I thought, this is great. This is going to be a fabulous career. Look how young I am. And I've got all this stuff. Yeah. And then around 2006, the company I was with shut down and I was given a job at our corporate parents and the job was not the same as what I had. And I could sort of see the writing on the wall. Things shifted significantly. I went from a corner office and two assistants to a small office with no window and no assistant. And just things shifted and I thought something is happening and I have no control over this shift, over this change in my career. And sure enough, within about 18 months, my position was made redundant, which is a really nice way in corporate America of saying we have to fire you or, you know, you're being mm -hmm. downsized. Like we, we don't need you. So... I lost my job in 2007. Now in the entertainment industry in 07, we were going through a writer's strike. And when a writer's strike happens, everything stops. So we actually got into a recessionary period prior to the entire country hitting 2008. So I ended up out of work a year prior to the great recession. Mm. And at my level, which was senior vice president, executive vice president, there's only so many jobs and a, a recruiter, an executive recruiter said to me, Joanna, you're not going to get a new job for another five years at least with your title, with your seniority. And I, I couldn't believe, she said, do you really, you don't really realize what's going on, do you? And I said, I didn't think it would be five years. Like, I, I literally couldn't believe she just said five years that I wasn't going to work. She said, you have to go back to school because what's going to happen is people who manage to hold on their jobs just barely, but the ones who stayed at work, they will have had five years of work over you and you have to show that you did something during that five years. Mm. So I looked around and I, and I, it was excellent advice. Go back to school. I'm pretty sure she meant go get an MBA, but all of the MBAs were getting laid off as well because this mm. obviously was hitting the banking industry. It was hitting management consulting. It was hitting everybody. So I was always been fascinated with psychology and my thinking was I'm going to get a master's in psychology because I'm so fascinated with psychology. And while I'm doing it, I think this woman's wrong. I think I can get back to work sooner than that. I'm going to continue to look for work. I'm four or five months away from finishing my master's in psychology. That woman was absolutely right. That recession was not letting up. There were no jobs to be had. And I thought, now what am I going to do? I'm halfway there. I might as well get a PhD. So I went for the PhD. I continued to look for work. I never found a job while I was doing the PhD. Like the recession was that bad, as we all know. And I graduated from the PhD program in November of 2012. And by December, the end of December of that year, I had two job offers and I was back in Hollywood by February. Wow. And I worked for about a year, a year and a half, and I got a little a little bored. I got a little restless. I thought, well, I've done this job. I've done this career. Like this is the same job I had before I was out for five years. What else can I do? And I went to the head of the company, the CEO of the company, who was my boss. I reported into her and I said, 
I really want to be able to do more with my career. And if our COO left, there's no good reason for you to give me that job because I don't have the business background. I want to go back and get an executive MBA while I'm still working. And she said, you're crazy, but I'm going to let you do it. (laughs) And that's how I ended up with the MBA. Wow. And by the way, she was right. That was crazy. It, It was an insane amount of work. Yeah. Like adding all that up, like how many, how much time have you been in school? I guess of the last, like what, 20 years, like it seems like a pretty solid chunk of it. So the school started in 2008. I obtained four degrees in that period. Um, and it ended in the end of 2018 and the four degrees were a master's in clinical psychology a PhD in, in transpersonal psychology, which is, this is two different schools, an mm-hmm. MBA, so a master's in business um, mm-hmm. administration, and then a graduate certificate from Harvard in corporate finance. So that was wow. four different graduate programs within 11 years. That's incredible. While working. Wow. <laughs> so I guess what I'm struck by is like, especially when there's trouble on the horizon or there's uh, someone just, in general, who wants to kind of up-level their game, the, the, the first answer is go get an MBA or go back to school and get an advanced degree. At what point, I'm wondering if you've experienced this at all, but at what point do you, do you encounter being overqualified once you have too many degrees or, or have you experienced that and have you seen people you know, who get too much and get too advanced, so to say, and then, and then end up you know, sort of educating themselves out of a position? You know, that's a really good question and a valid point. I've never thought of it as overqualified because I discovered something when I started going back to graduate school, which is there are so many people out there with multiple graduate degrees. There's just a group of us, and I put myself in this now um, as somebody who has multiple graduate degrees. There are a group of people who just love academia. So for me... While it's the psychology degree started out as just, I love psychology, I want to do this, and I can't get back to work right now because of this recession. The MBA was a business, a strategic business move, but the corporate finance degree or certificate at Harvard, that wasn't actually a business thing. That was me thinking, I really wanted more, I want a deeper dive than I did in the MBA. So, you know, Mm. it literally became, my friends used to joke like, Joanna, you are addicted to school. It wasn't so much about business. Having said that, I have been able to obviously parlay all of my education and apply it at work and parlay it into new opportunities and new jobs. But does that mean that I have, you know, magically moved up the corporate ladder very quickly and become a CEO? No, absolutely not. But I also don't look at it as being overeducated because what I do now is I work as a consultant in communications. And a lot of what I do is talking to companies about brand reputation management, crisis communications, and corporate culture. All of that involves business strategy and psychology. Mm-hmm. And because of my background and my degrees, I can pull all of that in now, as well as because of my experience as, as a department head for many, many, for over 20 years now. Yeah. I was kind of interested to hear where you're going to take that because what you're doing now is very clearly aligned with, with your educational background and your experience. Um, but I can imagine that in the beginning, it wasn't really clear necessarily 
well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Was it clear to you that this was a direction that you wanted to go? Or was this something that just sort of evolved out of kind of a natural addiction to degrees versus school, as you put it? Um, and then you're like, what can I actually align that makes me happy and adds value in the world? I would like to tell you that there was some grand master plan, but there wasn't. My life for me has always been an unfoldment. And the times where I have planned, and there, there were plans, by the way. It's not like I went into my career thinking, oh, I'm just going to lollygag around and see what happens to me. Right. But none of my plans actually have ever come to fruition because I don't have control over the things that have happened in my career. If it was up to me, I would just work my way up the corporate ladder at the same company and been the CEO someday. That didn't happen. You know, recessions happened. Downsizings happened. All kinds of shifts happened. My own ambition happened. I don't want to do this. I want to go do that. You know, Mm -hmm. there was no way to predict that type of thing. So for me, everything that's happened is an unfoldment. It makes perfect sense in hindsight. Hindsight's 2020, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the year we're in. (laughs) At the time that I'm going through it, I absolutely wouldn't be able to tell you that, oh, this was the plan all along. For example... I left Condé Nast. I was running communications for Condé Nast Entertainment Division. I left Condé Nast in the end of 2018, and I decided I am finally going to be a consultant. I'm going out on my own. I've been in corporate America for 25 years. Like, let me try this consulting thing. And I originally set out to do just plain PR, governance, strategy, very corporate type stuff, and very quickly realized, hey, I've got a specialty in communicating with millennials and Gen Z. I understand these young adults and have worked with them and promoted to them much longer and much more intensely than a lot of other people out there. I actually am an expert in this. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the consulting practice pivoted and that was only six months into it. And then the next thing I knew I was writing a book because I realized my psychology background and all the work I'd ever done in corporate in you know, managing corporate culture from the inside of a company and promoting out to the young adults and younger consumers gave me a very unique perspective on all the changes that are happening in the workplace because we've got five generations at work for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And so I have this book coming out in April called Culture Shock, Surviving yeah. Five Generations in One Workplace, right? So, but none of that was planned. It all kind of evolved and, and it, all, it evolved quickly. So I guess what I'd, I'd say is I'm just really good at going with the flow and pivoting. I really... I'm struck by that because admittedly you're not the typical guest that we have on the show because we're, we're a little more entrepreneurial, formally speaking based, but you've got this story that sort of ebbs and flows inside of sort of a traditional corporate setting, like many of the entrepreneurs who formally would call themselves entrepreneurs that I've had on the show. And I love the fact that you just sort of tied that all together into um, the you know, into the book and into the the consulting that you're doing now. You said you mentor young, you know, young women in the workplace around, you know, are they making the right decision and stuff? But when you're working with people who are kind of starting out or in the beginning or, or maybe early on, but in the uh, throes of a pivot of some kind, um, how do you help them sort of work through that and, and not worry so much about the outcomes um, and go with the flow and use use their strengths because it sounds like that's what you did. Use your strengths and use what you've learned um, to take them into the next direction. One of the things I tell them, which is really challenging for a lot of people to accept, and it's, it's the one thing I say that everybody 
pushes back on, but then once we get into the conversation, they, they can see what I'm saying. I always tell them you're powerless over this, right? You, you have no control here because as human beings, we think we've got control. And the thing is that because we think we have some ability to make things happen, we then become very stressed out, anxious, upset when they don't work out because then it's like, oh, if I'd only done that other thing, I should have done it differently. There's that should have mm-hmm, word, by the mm-hmm. way, right? If I had only, if I hadn't have said this, if I had taken this, if I, if I had studied more, if I had, it's all this should have, should have, could have, would have, and we get really anxious and stressed out about something that we actually had no control over. And so I often tell the women that I work with, I say to them, you, you know what you sound like right now? It sounds like you're on Mr. Toad's wild ride at Disney World and you actually think you're steering the car. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> because you're not. Like, the, everything that ever happened, I had grand plans for my career. Nothing went the way I thought it would. And by the way, I got every, everything I ever wanted in life. I want to be married by the time I'm 30. I want to have this kind of a house. I want to have this kind of a job. It all happened. And it wasn't the gift that I thought it would be, right? It, it, didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't make me feel larger than life or confident or great or even happy. I mean, some of it was actually a little miserable, not a mm-hmm. little, a lot miserable. Everything that I ever feared as a child, like, oh, God, I hope that never happens to me in my life, you know, and, oh, look what just happened to that friend of my, my parents. Like, God, I hope that never happens to me when I'm in my 40s. All that kind of stuff actually happened to me, and it ended up not being tragic. In a lot of cases, some situations ended up being huge gifts. And I really got to a place where I was like, wow, I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what's best for me, so I'm just going to stop thinking that I need to be driving the car because I, I clearly don't have control of it anyway. And that's where the Mr. Toad's wild ride thing started to come in. I would argue that that's a very rare perspective for a young person or for frankly anybody, because you're right. Like we all think that we have control to one degree or another, you know, you have control over your education or you have control over how you invest your money or whatever, but you're right. There's so many factors, uh, pushing down on us and in on us that we have control over a very small percentage, if, if that. How do you shift your perspective so that you can sort of accept that and be okay with it and it doesn't totally freak you out, but that also you can you know, use what you do have control over to sort of respond and adapt to those moments? The, how do you shift your perspective is a tough question because that's another thing I don't feel like I had control over. <laughs> and I wish I had a better answer for this, but truly what happened was I was in one of those moments where I was out of work during the recession, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I had been out of work for five years, frankly, running out of money. <laughs> five mm-hmm. years is a really long time not to be out of work and to be in graduate school and to only be working, you know, I was doing a few consulting gigs here and there, but nothing huge. Like, Life got real, it got scary, and it got raw. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those moments where I had that an epiphany and my brain shifted. And I I didn't have control over that thought. Now, you could argue, well, you were in school, you were getting a degree in psychology, you were studying all these different things, these different inputs really helped shift your perception. Sure, absolutely. 
But did I have control over the fact that I had that epiphany? Absolutely not. So, um, but you are so right about it being a rare perspective because I cannot tell you how much pushback I get when I tell people, look, you're, you're powerless to let go of control. And they're saying, what do you mean I'm powerless? I have control. And I, I remember having arguments with uh, like a friend of mine and she'd be like, well, I had control over whether or not I get married. And I said, really? You have control over whether or not he asked you? And she said, well, no. She goes, but I have control over whether or not I take a hot shower every morning. I said, really? You have control over whether or not the building's got hot water that morning? Have you ever had a cold shower? She goes, well, yeah, actually I have. So, well, I have control over whether or not I wake up. I go, really? You have control over whether or not your alarm clock goes off? You've never had a power outage? You've never forgotten to charge your phone? She's like, well, no. You know, like, yeah. I can do that with anything. And here's the thing. You're so invested in human beings as having control because it makes us feel more, in a lot of cases, it makes us feel calm. Like we have agency over our life. It makes this roller coaster ride that we're on easier. But the truth is when I had the epiphany, what I realized was it's actually more freeing and easier if I don't, if I know I don't have control because then I'm no longer to blame. Because that was a big part of it. A lot of my like anxiety, depression, fear was all coming from me thinking that somehow I messed up. Mm. And when I realized I didn't have control over the stuff that happened and I just needed to start to go with the flow, suddenly I had more self-confidence and, and more freedom than I had ever experienced in my life. I love that. Because then if you can give up that that need to sort of steer a ship that you have, you, you have no access to the rudder on and you just take in what comes and then respond to it appropriately. Like it gives you both a perspective that you probably have a lot less stuff on your plate or weight on your shoulders or whatever, and um, helps you see opportunities for what they are as opposed to holding so tightly to one thing and, and missing a completely game-changing, life-altering opportunity over there because you, you had no way to see it. Right. That's where pivoting, I, and in fact, I think on my Facebook page, it says queen of pivoting. <laughs> yeah. And based on your thing, story, that's appropriate. Yes. It's maybe I'll have them put it on my tombstone. I just, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where, when that executive recruiter, for example, said to me, go back to school because you're not going back to work for at least five or six years. And all of a sudden, okay, I guess I let me start thinking, what do I want to do? And psychology school and okay, where am I going to apply? And, and all of a sudden I was in it. And the next thing I knew I was back in school after not having been, you know, after having graduated from college 15 years earlier or whatever it had been, you know, and it's the consulting thing. Like here I am, I'm, go I'm, I'm leading Condé Nast and I'm going to do my own firm and I'm doing corporate governance. And then literally three months later. Nope, I'm not. I'm specializing in millennials and Gen Z. And while I'm at it, I'm writing a book and Hey, I am now a corporate speaker and I'm being hired by all these fortune 100 companies to go talk to their staff. I promise you, I did not see that a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, I, my head's spinning about my own experiences and how that, uh, how my story just aligns with what you're talking about so much as well. Like I could not have seen some of the topsy-turvy twists that I've taken to just get here on this podcast with you and how, you know, things happen, you respond, you see opportunities, doors open, doors close, and you just have to be uh, willing to, to take advantage of them as they come. Gosh, I'm like 
thank you personally for for that because I'm in a moment of of transition myself and I'm definitely needed to hear this. And I hope that some of the listeners uh, pull as much out of this as I am at the moment. You know, I want to be respectful of your time and I really appreciate what you've given to us so far. So I do want to transition us here to the uh, final segment of the show called the Focus Five, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Yes. First question, um, other than your own, which I guess isn't out as of this recording, but it will be by the time we launch, what book have you gifted most often? The Four Agreements by Dom Miguel Ruiz. I've been recommending it for over a decade now. Excellent. I'll have to check that one out. I have not read it. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? My deceased father, he died when I was a teenager and I have made peace with him posthumously, but I definitely have some questions. <laughs> mm, great answers. So uh, third question, what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? That's an interesting one. And I touched on it a little bit earlier. I believe that success in life is 100% luck and 0% talent. And I mentor a lot of women, which I mentioned, and I speak with them about that powerlessness, that lack of control, and they fight me on it constantly. And I find that when I'm talking to men about it, it's almost even worse to Mm. sometimes when I tell a man, you have no control. No one likes to believe that they don't have control, but anything that they throw at me, I can show them where, how they actually didn't have control in that situation. Absolutely. And as we're talking, I'm just thinking of all the various things that can happen. So I, I'm sure everyone is doing the same thing. So thank you for expanding on that. Uh, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Every morning I get up and I do three things. The first thing I do is meditate because it really helps me um, a lot throughout the day. It, that ability to witness my mind and watch what's going on and not be reactive to it is so important. And I start every day with it. The second thing I do is I make my bed. And the third thing I do, quite frankly, is scoop cat litter. And then I go about my day. <laughs> Get after it for the day. Absolutely. Well, Joanna, thank you so much for being on the show today. What is the best place online that we can connect with you the most? There are two places. The first is my blog, which is on my website. My company's name is JD Massey Associates. So the blog is jdmainc.com. And if you sign up for the blog, then it pings you every week when I, when I post a blog about, and it's called Culture Shock, which is based on my book and everything, all the changes we're experiencing. But the second place is LinkedIn. I'm just very active on LinkedIn right now. I comment on a lot. I post a lot just about life and especially about business and the changes that are going on. I find everything that's happening fascinating from a business perspective, but more importantly, from a psychological perspective. And that's how I usually present it. Excellent. Well, uh, I will post both your uh, blog as well as your LinkedIn account in the show notes. So guys, if you want to go down and connect with her, you can do that very easily down in the show notes. And Joanna, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I personally needed to hear a lot of what you said, and I'm really glad that you brought it all up and, and, and sort of gave me permission and gave us permission to, to let go of some of that control. Thank you, Hans. I really enjoyed it. You, you asked really great questions. It's a fun interview. Thank you. You're so welcome. 
that's it for the conversation with Joanna. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Really hope you got as much out of that as I did because I certainly valued her opinion, her experience, and um, some of the advice, especially the giving up of control. I think that's fantastic stuff. If you want to connect with her, go down to the show notes. I've got her website as well as her LinkedIn profile down there. You can go check out her book, which comes out in late April of 2020. So if you're listening to this after, you can go pick that up. Um, And then obviously go connect with her on LinkedIn because she does put out some cool content over there. And while you're down in the show notes, um, you can connect with me directly through Calendly, get a time on my schedule. We'll have a quick chat, get to know each other a little bit better. And I would also just love to hear your feedback about this or any of the other shows I put out. And if you're getting value out of any or all of these shows, please head over to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. Uh, really means a lot to me uh, if you go over there and rate the show because it helps the show grow, gives me some really good honest feedback and obviously helps with the algorithm. Without any further ado, this has been Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Strazina, and remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.